0: Her many voices
1: so much for being here for another Her Many Voices uh, Lunch and Learn. We're thrilled to have Brenda Kessler and Mariana here from Children and Nature. Um, Could we start out by having you introduce yourselves briefly, um, Brenda and then Mariana?
2: Sure. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Myrna, And thank you for her many voices for having us today. My name is Brenda Kessler. Uh, I'm a project manager with the Children in Nature Network uh, calling in today from the ancestral lands of the Lenape in in Hoboken, New Jersey.
3: Hello, everyone. Thank you for the invitation. I'm Mariana uh, from Brazil from Backyards play Movement, and it is a big pleasure to be here today.
1: Thank you so much. Mariana, we'll definitely be hearing more from you later um, as we circle back to a project very specific to what you're working on. So that's great. Um, Brenda, we'd love to hear about just an introduction about children in nature in general. I love the name. It's such an amazing thing to have children in in nature as much as possible, right? It's just, it's healthy. It's good for our mental health and our, you know, our attitude and all kinds of things, not to mention our, literally the the vibration of our being, right? <laughs> so I'd for love sure. to hear about
2: that. Yeah, so, um, so the children, yeah, it's the Children and Nature Network. It's, the name speaks for itself. It's a, it's a network. Um, We are a virtual uh, nonprofit organization. We were founded in 2006 by Mm -hmm. Richard Lube, which maybe um, you've heard of or the audience have heard of on on really just the belief that every child um, deserves a meaningful connection with a healthy and natural world. Um, We're really one of the only organizations focused solely on increasing equitable access to the benefits of nature. for children. So we strongly believe that regular time in nature makes children healthier, um, happier, and smarter, and everything you just mentioned, Myrna, and also better stewards of the environment. Um, Our founder, Richard Louvre, has written many books uh, about this, and people from all over the world really look up to his words. I think he's known uh, for, coining this term nature deficit disorder and and the overall need to reconnect uh, with the natural world. So so parting from this vision, our organization has many focus areas. We do a lot of things and and we embark on many strategies that um, include the creation of resources. We have a very extensive research library that people know us for. We also do a lot of consultation and technical assistance to bring these strategies and advance this work of connecting children to nature. Network building, really bringing peers together and um, individuals and organizations together to to advance this work, running youth development programs. now, more recently, we're getting into the policy area that's very recent. And, and of course, our, our conference, um, we have a, an annual conference um, that really brings together in this people in this space. And I, I know we'll talk about it. And, and we're happy that Alicia Fall will be part of our conference this year.
1: Yes, yes. Um, Alicia is our founder here at Hermany Voices. And I understand that Lori Rich at your organization reached out to her Um, specifically to lead some efforts for children in nature about really honoring the indigenous cultures and people. Um, In addition to um, honoring the land and the sacrifices there and that kind of thing, but also it it goes much further than that. So Alicia will be speaking about that at your conference. Um, That is June 15th, sorry, June 12th to 15th, right? In Estes Park, Colorado. 12th 15th, yes. And in, in, in
2: your neck of the woods, if I'm not mistaken, you're all there. In Estes Park and in Colorado, yes. that's. Yeah, out. that's
1: a beautiful place. It's going to be amazing. Um, and I want to mention also some of the other key people who are involved with Harmony Voices will be there as well. Renee Chacon will be there um, leading this, as well as Chief Lee Plentywolf will be joining. So um, that's going to be amazing. Um, I also know a few other people who are going to be speaking, um, and I know it's just going to be great. So is there anything else you'd like to share about the conference? And then we can also circle back to that at the end of our time together.
2: Yeah, I think. um... This is, so for me, this will be my second conference, and I'm I'm just really excited about the setting this year because it'll be in the mountains, um, and it'll I I think it'll be different from previous conferences because of that setting. Really, you know, um, living up to what we always say and being immersed in nature. So that that part is really exciting, and just meeting you know these these spaces are they they always and lead to to great outcomes. So just excited to see that.
1: How many conferences have you had and give us what i'm looking for is sort of a scope to understand the size of your organization and the impact so intentionally
2: this conference uh, will be smaller than others and that's that's intentional i think in in atlanta which was previous uh 2022 we had about um 700 but we also we also connected other initiatives and and made it a bigger event. Um, And also I think it, because of COVID, there wasn't a conference in 2021, so it kind of just compounded. But um, that's a great question. I do not know the exact number. Uh, The the organization was founded in 2006. So I'm not gonna throw a number, (laughs) but I know there's been many uh, in Oakland and San Francisco area, there was one and we, We'll be talking about green schoolyards too um, in a little bit, but um, yeah, yeah. We, yeah so, some something really exciting about this conference is that we are having a pre-conference tour to look at the green schoolyards in Denver. So um, there, I know that that has been an initiative. One of the pioneers in green schoolyards was Denver. So really excited to see the work on the ground there.
1: Oh, that's great. And um, a couple other people involved with Harmony Voices will be presenting as well in the, in the arts, and that's Tommy Nehulu and Melissa Ivey. Uh, so those, they'll be there as well. It's really going to be great. I was reading your website all about it, of course, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to go. <laughs> and we really want to thank Lori Rich for Alicia Fall for reaching out um, about addressing the Indigenous inclusion beyond the land acknowledgement, as we mentioned earlier. So that's great. Um, well, let's move on to hear about your project, this specific thing that you're heading up um, for Children in Nature. Um, it's really about greening school grounds, and we're going to share some information about that. Uh, yeah, tell us all about it.
2: So I think I'll, I'll start with um, a little bit of how I came into this work because I think it's important. Um, and and my passion for <laughs> green Schoolyard. So I'm about two years ago um, I joined the organization, and um, you know, greening school grounds has been happening, and as a slower movement through many years now. We've seen we've seen the work in the U.S. and we've seen it um, abroad. So as a for myself, uh, it's. Just another concerned parent. I started immersing myself in this work and looking at my childhood memories. Like so when we think about um, childhood, when I was thinking about my own childhood memories and where are where was I the happiest? When was I, you know, what are these memories that come come back and how important are they? Nature was big, nature was just a really big present in my life. And it really moved me into into this work. And it led me back to school and then eventually led me to the Children in Nature Network and really excited about the work that, all the initiatives that the Children in Nature Network has worked with too, as a a pioneer in this uh, space too. But in 2021, we had the opportunity to um, engage in a project that would help us understand you know, what was happening in this same same type of work, but abroad in other parts of the world. Um, we know that in, in other parts of the world, it's been happening for, for a really long time. And we know that there were lessons learned there. And we wanted to build that network too. So um, a little bit more background on why schools. So when you think about it, schools are, are just such a perfect place to connect children to nature. Um, in the U.S., over 28 million kids in America don't have a park within a walking distance, and that's a statistic that um, from our partners at TPL. But if you think about it, they do have a school, and these schools today are typically closed um, in after-school hours they're not accessible and quite honestly a lot of them look more like a prison they're concrete they're not engaging um, the community or they're not uh, spaces where you can connect with nature they're very little green space and children spend a significant amount of time in these spaces so it's really impactful to think about You know what if these schoolyards were turned into park-like spaces and and opened to the community in after-school hours um and that's been you know the value of that has been increasing in the us and there's more people working towards this vision um and so in in 2021 with the support of a grant by the robert wood johnson foundation um the children in nature network in partnership and bear with me because there are many partners in this project, Salzburg Global Seminar, the International School Grounds Alliance, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, um, Nature for All, and the National League of Cities. So we were many partners. We embarked on a journey to identify and disseminate successful approaches um, from around the world to help us really understand What are some of the challenges and what are some of the opportunities for this work to happen everywhere? Um, And that's how the that's how the Global Lessons on Greening School Grounds and Outdoor Learning Project uh, came about.
1: Yeah, you also have a very specific um, outreach for, you know, focus on equity, meaning that Mm -hmm. students who and children who normally don't have access. I know you mentioned the statistic about they're not even walking distance from a park. and so, could you say more about that effort?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, exactly. Not this. This work is not happening equitably, right? It's um, there. There's a big gap in in park space and neighborhoods, and there's a lot of components to um, look into that. When in our work in the U.S. Uh, with the Children Nature Network and and the National League of Cities, which is what we do domestically here, is um, really look at areas of opportunity, mapping out um, with key indicators of where these gaps are. And we don't only look at, um, you know, park space, but we looking at other indicators, uh, demographics, and um, environmental indicators that might prioritize. So yes, there's a big, everything that we we do has a big equity, equity focus. And this project was, the global project was, um, not foreign to that. When we when we looked at, we wanted to make sure there's a lot of geographic considerations, climatic, culture, political aspects. And that's how we we got to the case studies. We didn't want to just focus in one area because we know that what might apply in Western Europe may not apply in South America or may not be yeah. relevant in parts of Southeast Asia. So Absolutely. when we when we got to the ca- building the case studies, we made sure that we were being um, culturally and geographically representative.
1: Right, right, that's great. Is this a good time to have a look at a few slides? Um, yes, for sure. Uh, and so here we go. There's, I'll let you talk through these and Aisla will advance them for us.
2: Yes. Yeah, in the background,
1: so- the, the, the wizard in the background. <laughs> That's um, this
2: is a picture actually from I want to say um, IVN or Antwerp um, in in Belgium. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but um, so the partners you see are are the partners that are uh, engaging in this work going forward. Um, we have since the culmination of this project, which ended. Um, at the beginning of this year, we have added Learning Planet and Alana Institute and Learning Landscapes and UNESCO. Sorry. <laughs> A lot of and them. Also
1: I see her many voices there in the top right corner. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. Um, so so this um, if we can go to the next slide, when I was saying about creating the case studies, um, one of the first things that we did when we were selecting these case studies was to create a survey so we could understand what was um you know who was who was engaging in this work at at a at a global scale and based on that narrowing it down there are many benefits to green schoolyards there there we have another graphic that depicts a lot of them but we we narrowed it down to these five: um, play, um, health and well-being, climate resilience, and biodiversity, community engagement, and education. And if you think about it, well, green school grounds touch upon all of them. There's really it doesn't matter which one you pick; the 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 other benefits follow. But there are some starting points for some cities that. Um, it's easier to make the case if you're already really focused in one of these areas or it's a priority area. So in this project, we created 13 case studies and two of them for each, and then three kind of like we call them all around. So they touched upon, um, all of them. And we'll hear from Mariana, um, in Brazil from Quintais Brincantes, which that in particular, um, was focused on play. So, um, so that's this is kind of the case study framework and how we envision this uh, this project, and it, it really shows how greening school grounds can touch upon all of yeah. these benefits. Okay, and if next we, slide. yeah, if we go to the next slide, this is a this is a slide. This is a schoolyard in Paris. So. For Paris, really, this started as a climate resilience strategy, and again, all of the other benefits uh, follow. But for them, um, it really started with the heat waves in, um, I believe, 2017. Um, And then later on, there was another big one. And the city started looking at You know, in dense areas like Paris or New York or cities that don't have um, more space to grow. Right. Where where do you go? Where do you you can't add more park space, turning school grounds into open spaces, opening them up to the community and turning them into park like spaces was really uh, embedded in their climate resilience strategy. So they've done uh, an amazing work. They've transformed nearly 100 schoolyards already and I wish i had a before picture of this one i don't but um i was i, I personally visited this one and one of one of the stories that really struck for me was, a t- was speaking to a teacher and this is reflected in one of the interviews and these are all in videos and they're um, available on schoolgroundgreening.org but one of the stories that really struck me is that like the teacher said we stopped being policemen um before There were a lot of fights and a lot of behavior issues in the school ground. And after the transformation, you know, you can see how the children are spread out in this picture and there's something to do for everyone, whether you're, you know, you need some peace and quiet or you want to dig a hole or you want to uh, run around into a more rough play. (laughs) There's, there's really something for everyone. Um, So that, that really stuck with me on how, it just has it has changed um behavior and um yeah, yeah great these are some other pictures from oh if we go to the previous one just um the, the yeah the top one is in Antwerp and then in India there it's called Ant Hill Creations, an organization that is also really looking at um, schools and transforming their outdoor spaces by using recycled materials and really creating um, an impact for a lot of children that would otherwise not have that opportunity. Below that one is um, uh, it's an ethnobotanical garden in Morocco that is really engaging, on indigenous knowledge, indigenous bringing indigenous um, plants uh, to the education, um, to a boarding school in, in the high Atlas Mountains of Morocco. And then the last one, some little kids, um, we visited as part of this, the only place that we actually went out and filmed the case study was in Peru. And these are some little children looking at, a, Uh, I don't remember the name of the bug, but um, it's a methodology called children's lands and it's creating a space, um, whether it's in an urban or rural environment where children nurture life um, and, and biodiversity, but they're really the leaders in this space. So granting children a space where they can, they can learn by doing, it's not adult guided, it's really just about them having a space to um to to connect with nature and learn whether yeah. it lives or not. Sometimes we we adults want to intervene in, in these spaces, but it's really important that we let children be the ones that are guiding the design and the and the and the way they play, right?
1: That's really amazing. Um what you said a little bit ago about teachers not having to police, you know, this the area is so powerful um, to think of it that way And, and i can imagine that just having the whole different environment changes their entire perception of what's happening around them and their relationship to each other that's really an important thing i think that's wonderful so next slide i think shows where you're working
2: yeah so the the next slide is like i said we started this project just Putting out a survey, pushing it out as much as we could. The survey is still open. We kept it open prior to the project starting. We kept it open for six months, just really capturing where this was happening. And um, I think it's important to show that there are gaps. You know, this this work and this is kind of like our work moving forward is how do we fill these gaps? How do we make it more equitable? And how do we make sure that you know every child everywhere has a has an opportunity? There's um, out of this project came a a vision a collective vision um which was we envision a world where every child especially the most vulnerable connects meaningfully with nature every day because if we are if we are gonna change anything with with everything that's happening um environmentally we it can't just happen somewhere it has to happen everywhere and Connecting children to nature is such a key piece. When we when we talk about sustainable development, we talk about climate change. We don't often talk about the importance of connecting children to nature. It's kind of like a missing piece. Um, they're the generation that's going to be in charge of, of or, or are going to see the most impact, right? Um, generations to come. And you can't protect what you can't, don't love. Um, there's a saying. Mm-hmm. A proverb on that. And, and and it just really holds true. If we, if we want children to grow up as environmental stewards, we really need to do the work now when they're young and they can develop this love um, for, for nature.
1: Interesting quote, you can't protect what you don't love, meaning that you don't have the desire to protect what you don't love.
2: Exactly. Or you maybe I don't know if it's the desire, but you don't, if you don't have a connection to it, um, you can't name it. Then, Mm. you know, how do you, how do you fight for it? (laughs) How do you, how do you protect it?
1: Yeah. Well, um, would you like to um, go ahead and bring Mariana in to speak about the project in Brazil, which is one of your 13 case studies?
2: yes I, th- I I think so. Um, I, one of the one of the things I really like there is Mariana. yeah, she oh. can introduce uh, the backyards uh playful movement, which is it's really amazing. I think we want to play the video uh first. Uh, we have a short video uh, every case study is about three minutes, and I welcome the audience to look at um. Look at the others on school ground greening, but yeah, I, I think it'd be great too if we can start with, with that one. Great.
4: These espaços são fundamentais para o desenvolvimento físico, emocional, afetivo, social, mental e espiritual. Eu sou uma das muitas representantes do movimento dos Quintais Brincantes. Para contar um pouco sobre esse coletivo tão grandioso, eu acredito que tem alguns aspectos importantes. Falar um pouco também sobre a visão que nós temos a respeito da saúde integral de todos os seres vivos que habitam o quintal. Aqui as crianças aprendem brincando,
5: imersas em arte, cultura e contato com a natureza. Atualmente, temos em nosso projeto 30 crianças, sendo que algumas delas chegaram indicadas por psicólogas e psicopedagogas, com suspeita de TDAH, necessidade de maior socialização e rotina e falta de concentração.
4: faz parte desse movimento é, em sua maioria, mulheres de diversas regiões do Brasil e nós pesquisamos o Brincar, a cultura brasileira em conexão com a natureza.
5: cultivamos uma horta e uma pequena agrofloresta junto com as crianças. Nela, vivenciamos o ciclo dos alimentos, desde o plantio das mudas e sementes até a colheita desses alimentos e o consumo no nosso lanche coletivo. Prezamos por uma alimentação saudável,
4: principalmente orgânica e vinda dos produtores locais espaços quintaleiros são diversos, alguns são registrados como escola, outros embaixo de um grande pé de mangueira, por exemplo. E também é bonito contar que tem muitas mulheres quintaleiras é, levando essa prática tão rica Brasil afora, movimentando experiências livres é, e ocupando praças, parques e também espaços privados. Pensando nesse contínuo cuidado com a
5: saúde, prezamos pelo contato presencial contato direto com a natureza e com as relações interpessoais, de modo que os jogos eletrônicos e as telas não
4: fazem parte da nossa rotina. Os brinquedos surgem ao seu redor. Elas brincam com pedras, frutas, folhas, água, barro, materiais tão, tão vivos e presentes nesses espaços. Falando sobre a cultura brasileira, é o que nos inspira as mestres, os mestres da cultura, nossas mães, avós, que trazem consigo saberes ancestrais e esses saberes são fundamentais para preservar, para transmitir o brincar de geração para geração. Esse contato,
5: como já foi comprovado em diversas pesquisas científicas, além da nossa própria observação empírica, aumenta a imunidade, diminui riscos de obesidade,
4: melhora a circulação sanguínea e respiratória. Então esse é um pouco do nosso movimento tão, tão importante para as crianças, para as infâncias e também para nós educadores.
1: Great. Um, I should mention the technicality. I mentioned that Hermany Voices logo was on your event earlier, and it's actually not because we are at that was the logo that belongs in our, in our screen here. So I apologize for that mistake. Um, Mariana, welcome. We're so happy that you're here. This is amazing. Uh, yeah. What would you like to share about the project first?
3: okay first of all i would like to thank you all especially brenda and her many voices for this invitation for me it's a big pleasure to um, uh to speak a little bit about this movement and i want to present some slides if it's possible yeah? yes yes uh, there we go and also i think i prefer to read this these slides because it helps me with my okay. English. Sure. <laughs> and this Sorry is the name of that. your project. It is uh Quintas Brincantes, um Backyards Playing Movement. So next slide. Next yeah please. So the, the Backyards play playing movement uh, was born in 2019. And now we gathered around 200 educational projects like schools and playhouses in Brazil and approximately 300 educators spread across more than 16 states in the country. And we are all volunteers and a sensitive female group connected with the creative power of Mother Earth. You can go so our main goal is to be a learning community with free exchanges about educating children connected with nature we do believe in, ed- in education encouraged in the ancestral knowledge of the traditional communities in the knowledge of our grandmothers and in na- nature as a teacher we can go to the next one. So in 2020, we conducted a survey with uh, 52 playful backyards. And this the result become a book available for free download via link in Instagram, Quintas Brincantes. And in a partnership with uh, Instituto Alana, we managed to print a thousand copies that are being distributed in 66 public schools across the country. We are now 33 educators involved in that and also developing new workshops related to playful backyard practices. <laughs> and in this research, we found some principles, fundamentals, but they are not rules that we must follow. They are just some directions that connect us. And those principles are uh, nature and children as teachers, respect for children, their time and their autonomy, free play, socializing between children of different ages, listen and look sensitively at the entire community, both for children and adults, care for an integral and healthy development, place for adults, self-education, connection with the culture and community uh, in which they are placed, simplicity and kindness. You can go. And to reach these goals, we hold many meetings, conversations, circles, workshops, exhibitions, scientific researches, free researches, among other initiatives to expand our network and multiply values and practice of playful backyards. (laughs) So I selected some pictures to illustrate a little bit of some backyards, especially to show how children explore nature how they can play freely and healthy. Um, you can go to the next one. There are more some pictures, just a few, because I knew that we're gonna see the, the video. Um, but I, I would like to say that uh, I selected pictures from different places in Brazil, because it is a, a, a movement that goes across all this huge country. So it's it's amazing that we get this, um, this network making just uh, of women and volunteers, almost women and all volunteers. So that's it. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you so
1: much for sharing that. I'll let you and Brenda chat about this. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And Mariana, when we, uh, something that really struck me on, uh, on this movement, it's, it's mostly led by women. And yeah, uh, I know, uh, something that maybe I didn't mention. So I was born and raised in Guadalajara, Mexico. So I'm Latina myself. And women play such a key role in, in my culture of I think in general, but more in Latin America, maybe, of like decision making um, towards children's health and, and just in general at home. Um, tell us a little bit more about how, how this movement came and brought together uh, principally women.
3: Yeah, uh, we found this answer while we, we were making the research with these uh, backyards. And what happened is, in almost cases, mothers want to find some uh, different places for their own kids and then didn't find it. And then they decide to, to bring the community to their own houses or to small schools, small playhouses, and then uh, start a, a new project. That's a very common uh, history that, that makes, uh, yeah, this movement happen so far. So, yeah, and, and then I think uh, as, as we have, uh, as we are inspired in our grandmothers and in the traditional communities also, what we offer for children is what we learn with them and we learn about care, about uh, nature relationship and about um, a community life and about parties. We love parties as a, a way to resist, mm-hmm. to put people together, to celebrate life and not just like uh, keep with the, the heavy party, the heavy, the heavy, mm-hmm. the heavy.
1: It sounds Um, like, it sounds like, like so many movements, it was started by moms, right? Yeah. I mean, certainly women, but specifically moms who care about their kids and want their kids to have access and to have, uh, you know, to what we inherently know is good for them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I think it's more important than ever right now because of the obsession with electronics and, you know, getting, getting this. People outside into nature—that's so important. Um, a moment ago, we had the link up for the Insta- or Instagram page. Uh, I wanted to make sure that was included. So, if people wanted to download your book, here it is. For those of you who want to download the book um, that you mentioned, that they could do so. Um, so, there you go.
3: Thank you. Yeah.
1: yeah and I'll share Mariana
2: it showed up in in Quintais and it showed up um in a lot of the case studies and how we are slowly losing that, that ancestral knowledge um and the uh, the use of of different plants and it showed up in Morocco when we were down in in Peru um you know that is just such a key um part of all this that that transfer of knowledge that Kintais is working on um, and making sure that it's passed on from generations. Um,
3: do you yeah. do you
2: see a change in that? Is that is that is the movement fueling? Totally,
3: that? totally. And also, we we made a meeting just with women who who are uh, masters, traditional masters in their communities. Uh, and it's it was online, and we hope to to make one now uh, in person meeting. But uh, it was so beautiful because we we chose some some woman very uh, representative and woman who has uh, works with children in the traditional way, and they they taught us a lot of. Uh, songs and uh, rituals and things that we can bring to the to the project to the educational projects and of course the plants and food and and other things yeah
2: yeah, a lot of great work ha- happening in in Brazil. I'll I'll mention Mirna too. That we had two case studies in Brazil. So there, uh, Quintais was one, and then we also um, delved into a municipality s- outside of Sao Paulo called Junjai. Mm-hmm. and their um, their work really stemmed from the COVID pandemic and really realizing how important um, green spaces. For everybody, it wasn't just for Junjai. I think we all realized the importance of or it really emphasized the importance of green spaces uh, during the pandemic. So we did a case study there, too, um, on not just greening school grounds, but looking, you know, looking at the nearby places. Uh, this project also yeah. in outdoor learning. So it's not just about greening. Um, the spaces, but looking around to see what is already available and how can cities and schools work together to make that accessible, to to use those spaces nearby as an outdoor classroom. Um, and we do that here in the U.S. too. It's like you you can't sometimes you can't expand um, or you can't recreate. You just got to look at the spaces that are already available and and activating them. So um, I know King Pies does that, too. Um, yeah. Just, a lot. Some are some, some are, are in them. the school, and some are outside of the school. Yeah,
3: because
1: with that. Sorry, no, Mariana. Please. Go ahead.
3: Oh no, please.
1: I was just going to mm-hmm. say. I know you uh, mentioned some numbers already, but just to get a scope of what we're talking about in in Brazil, um, how many locations are there? Do you have some numbers? I know you did.
3: Yeah. Uh, I, I just present, we are around 200 projects uh, directly connected in a map, in a Brazilian map, where um, everyone can can find those projects. Yeah. And also, I think in a, an important thing to mention is uh, the backyards, backyards playing movement, we don't say to anyone or to any project that someone or some project are uh, backyards playing, Uh, you know? I don't know how to say exactly in English, but in Portuguese we say uh, that we are quintaleiras. So uh, it's a self recognition, so I think that's a, a great strategy to to spread, to multiply our ideas. Because anyone who 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 feels that uh, what we say is is a good, it's a good thing, it's a good way to 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 practice something with children uh, can can say that. Oh, I am a quintalera. Uh, I am, my project is a quintal, né? It's, a, yeah. it's a backyard. So, so. They,
1: those people want to engage with the network and become part of what you're doing, right? And so they're doing something that's aligned and you're saying that you're very inclusive in, um, in, in saying, yes, you can be a part of this in your geographic area, um, yeah. And when you say 200 projects, that's 200 different geographic areas around Brazil, right?
3: In 16 states now. Yeah. We hope to, to get all uh, Brazilian states. And that's but, um, um, impacting so many people.
1: That's the hard part to quantify, isn't it? How many yeah. children's lives and, and parents' lives are being impacted
3: yeah, uh, by all of this that's hard especially because these numbers are the numbers that uh from people who are directly uh, connected with us Mm -hmm. but in in instagram and other places in the internet or in some meetings we join much much more people so yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: that's wonderful. Um, Brenda, would you like to say anything else about the Brazil project or either of you want to do that? And then, Mariana, do you want to just stay with us the rest of the time? It's completely mm-hmm. up to you. Sure. No, yes, of
3: okay. course, thank you. Uh,
1: the only
2: thing I'll say is is thank you to Mariana and to all the work that is is happening um, across Brazil. We, uh, Like I said, Alana Foundation has now become a key partner as we move forward. And continue to grow the movement because that's really the the idea here is to continue um, growing the movement. And I do want to take a moment to invite everyone who this is not happening in a vacuum. This is this is a movement, and and anyone in the audience should feel um, as you know empowered to join the movement. We ha- part of the project um, was developing a global action agenda, so um, really creating or are drafting some of the key steps, key areas of focus where the work needs to progress. And so we we all met in Salzburg uh, at the end of the project uh, to draft this uh, global action agenda. And I can drop it in the chat. It's part of it's in, embedded in the school ground greening website. And I invite everyone to endorse the agenda, to pass it along and to also take the survey. The survey is on the website because that's how we will continue to learn of the work that's happening um, around the world. So really just inviting the audience to take those two um, steps and join the movement.
1: Great. Thank you. Um, Brenda, I'll let you decide if we should play now another video from another case study. We, I do think we have time. Is yeah, I think so. Freedom? I thought I thought one of
2: the one of the really interesting um, there are many lessons learned through this project, but risky play and and how we think about uh, risk it, it resonated a lot with me because I guess maybe my generation as a parent myself, I'm constantly you know taking myself back on like, well, is this are my kids engaging in and in risky behavior because it's perceived by me or is it is it okay to let them and that was one of our case studies that from Antwerp which we can play the video that talks a lot about how this plays a key role yes we could we can listen in
1: thank you
6: speelnatuur kan elke iets anders zijn zeker materialen daar kun elke Is daar een keukentje, de andere dag wordt daarmee gebouwd, eh, waardoor dat dat ook nooit verveelt. Initieel, toen wij begonnen met uh, een proefproject rond natuurspeelplaatsen, dat was in 2010, dan was dat vooral vanuit de insteek van: wij willen kinderen die in de stad opgroeien en die niet altijd een tuin hebben, die uh, ook niet altijd in het park gaan spelen, maar op straat of kleintjes. Um, wij willen die terug dichter bij de natuur brengen. Mijn oplossing is eigenlijk, waar gaan alle kinderen naartoe? Dat naar school. Antwerpen is een heel dicht bebouwde stad. Hè. En um, scholen zitten echt midden in de buurt. Uh, rond een schoolspeelplaats zie je heel vaak tuinenhuizen van huizen van, van mensen. Dus de school is daar echt wel heel centraal en, 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 en ja, heel ingebed in de wijk. Dus wij voelen echt aan de kinderen van dat ze hier veel liever spelen dan op een traditionele speelplaats. Hier is veel meer plek om in cirkels te lopen. Dus hier worden heel veel tikspelletjes, verstopspelletjes gespeeld. Dus in die zin is dat ook wel uitlokkend om meer te bewegen. Er zijn veel minder conflicten. Er is een ander spel gekomen. Er is meer rollenspel. Ook omdat het De kinderen zich nu benoemen als wij zijn groene bevers. Spelen zij het beverrolspel in de beverhut en in de tunnel en zo. Uh, wij hebben ook een buitenkeukentje, dus ze gaan met natuurlijke materialen spelen. Wat wij belangrijk vinden, is dat scholen gaan onderzoeken van welke noden hebben wij hier, welke noden hebben de leerlingen of de leertrachten, de ouders, de buurt en dat ze zo op basis daarvan eigenlijk hun ideale speelplaats gaan ontwerpen. Dus dat kan er overal anders uitzien. We vragen ook aan scholen om uh, om in hun mogelijk hun schoolspeelplaats te delen buiten de schooluren. Buiten lesgeven is eigenlijk een een, een ongelooflijke manier om kinderen uh, Te triggeren tot ontdekken. Het leuke aan, aan onze tuin is dat je hier ook risicovol spel aanbiedt. En risicovol spel is, is een hele belangrijke tegenwoordig in, 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 in het vergroeningsproces. Het maakt dat je kinderen leert omgaan met risico's nemen. De dingen die wij bouwen, die bouwen wij zelf. Op het eerste zicht zou je denken: een natuurspeelplaats is gevaarlijker. En ziet er ook gevaarlijker uit, maar dat maakt ze net Omdat kinderen op een natuurspeelplaats veel beter zelf het risico inschatten. Op een een normgekeurde speelplaats, noem ik dat dan, gaan kinderen vertrouwen op het oordeel van de volwassenen. Uh, Kinderen die kunnen spelen op op zo'n toffe speelplaats, uh, die gaan zich beter voelen, die gaan zich beter kunnen ontvoggen, die gaan hun talenten ontdekken. Ja, want Je kunt hier veel onderzoeken, experimenteren, leren waar dat jij goed in bent en soms op een andere manier dan gewoon in de klas.
1: Here. <laughs> That's another beautiful video. Thank you. Um, before you address that, um, I want to mention to everyone, we have about 10 minutes left. And if you have questions, please type them in the chat and they'll come through and we'd love to answer your questions. So everyone, please do that. Um, and then, yes, let's, let's hear a little bit about that. And I'm specifically um, curious about when you use the word risk, and how that plays in. Yeah,
2: so I he mentioned something, and I don't know if I made it specifically that quote into the interview, but there's like real risk and perceived risk. And very often we as adults tend to stop kids because there's a perceived risk. And, Antwerp, what have what they've done with these green schoolyards and the designing of them? Well, first of all, involving everyone from the beginning, right? So the, the community engagement, and the co-design, and making sure the, the the equivalent of a facilities person or the or the teachers and the students are all involved. That kind of helps mitigate those those conversations around uh, danger or safety, um, because everyone's everyone has a voice and everyone understands why that piece of equipment was put in there for the first place. So I think that that community part is really important. But they also have a designated risk officer that is constantly looking mm-hmm. at, you know, what is what is real and what is perceived and you know studies say uh, there there's a significant amount of research talking about how risk can be really beneficial for children and when we when we take that away there are more injuries there are more um situations so oh that's so interesting. we have to, yeah, yeah something we have to navigate especially here in the US
1: it's really interesting it's um I kept thinking about the mama bear, at, you know, need to protect our kids. And then moms, we do tend to be, I should speak for myself. I tend to be a little overprotective, right? And typically it's the father or man's role to push them a little bit to take more risks. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, though, what you're talking about is in a playground environment that in a typical playground Uh, they sort of take the risk elements out, probably in part because of liability, right? (laughs) Right. And and, But really, I think what what I'm hearing you say is that there should be built-in ways for the kids to decide for themselves how much Mm -hmm. risk they want to take. And a nature playground is much more appropriate for that.
2: Correct. Yes. Yes, there are. We have to educate ourselves on you know what's real and what's perceived and and just parting from there and not just because there was an injury taking it all out or or, or creating some policy that prevents uh that from now on so the yeah, other is a, there's a big liability component to it and um there's work happening around that um
1: yeah yeah of course um we have a question from alicia who's in, probably in amsterdam right now are you are you in amsterdam It's okay. You don't need to read it.
2: Are you in Amsterdam? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I thought that I thought I I, I didn't uh, understand the question. We um we are in uh, the Netherlands for sure. In in many parts of the Netherlands, um, I I don't say we our partners, not the Children Nature Network specifically. We have some projects um, that we've engaged as part of this 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 uh, Global Lessons on Greening School Grounds project and. Rotterdam, which will also be presenting at the, at the conference. Um, IVN is the organization leading that. And there, there's a case study from um, the Netherlands in, in our, in our
1: website. That's great. Um, So really, you know, one thing that I really was struck by this entire time we've been talking is that you are truly, truly global and and having such a huge impact on the world and on children around the world. It's amazing. Um, And that those partners really enable that, right? I know that your partners are very credible. I know the IUCN and some of the organizations very familiar with them. So I know that what you're doing is just really credible and impactful and, and amazing. So I just wanted to mention that.
2: Yes, we are. And it's growing. We are, like I said, after this project, this stage of the project culminated um, at the beginning of this year. And as that first slide showed, we have now UNESCO and Alana um, and uh, the Learning Planet, which they're really... Their global partners, their global reach is is impressive. So we have high hopes for the movement and for this to continue on as a as a standard practice. And again, just re-emphasizing that it's not happening um everywhere. and as of the next stage of this project, we've created a steering committee that you know right now it's in the stages of getting funding because all of this needs funding. (laughs) Um, So yes, moving forward is just looking at the gaps, um, looking at that survey and how can we continue to, to support this in areas where they're most needed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, To circle back then sort of tying this back to the conference and sharing a little bit more about that. um, Will these projects be presented at the conference?
2: Yes, we are having one panel um, specifically on this. Our conference in general tends to attract uh, a, an international audience, so um, I'll say that. And we're also having this particular project presented as a as a panel in Denver. We'll have um, we'll hear more from Peru, which will be there. Uh, Rotterdam, which you just asked, and uh, Brazil, Junjai um, will be there, and. The idea is also to and also should say Limburg and in Belgium, which was not a case study, but there's great work happening there. Um, And one of our partners in this work is the ISGA organization, International School Grounds Alliance. which will be held in 2024 and in, in Belgium. So there's, there's a lot happening. Um, Sometimes I say, I don't know if it's because it's me that's immersed in this movement, but sometimes I ask people that are not in the movement. I'm like, there's, there's a lot happening around this, this work. And I see Mariana nodding and maybe she'll have some words of encouragement. And it's not just me listening on, on this work, but I have a lot of hope. Um, Mariana, do you feel the same way? There's, there's, a lot of movement to reconnect children to nature worldwide.
3: Yes, I do. And, and I, and I also, also feel that when we are with children, it's so strong when they are in nature and we can see like, not only them, but the whole community, like, feel their bodies healthy and comfortable in nature and, feel that we are nature, not nature is there and we are here. So I think it also gives me a lot of hope. And for sure. uh, Brenda, your movement is awesome, is a big like uh, gift to anyone uh, who who works with children and nature. And this draft agenda that uh, Brenda said is a great document, I think very uh, in- inspiring for many, many projects around the world.
1: And people can download that from your website, right? <laughs> ChildreninNature.org? They can they can
2: download it, but they can also endorse it. So we're... <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: really great. Wow. Thank you. And I wanted to just regarding the conference, it's coming up so soon. It's June 12th through 15th in Estes Park, Colorado. Um, Can people still sign up to attend? I think so, yes, and we will have a
2: virtual ticket um, available. Uh, we do want to see you in person. We are all about in person and contact with nature, um, but for those that are uh, unavailable to attend in person, we will have a virtual, I, I think it's already up available, um, a virtual yeah. ticket.
1: And you um, both will be there, is that right?
2: Yes. Uh, I don't know about Mariana. <laughs> Mariana, we'll, we'll have Junjai represented uh, for Brazil. but. Um,
1: Great! Great! Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then I wanted you mentioned this so briefly. I want to say it again. You're offering a tour of the Denver Green School grounds. Right. Right. We are going out. Um, on the, and I won't offer
2: too much because I think we're very limited on spaces on what are available still. But we are, I just, I wanted to highlight that Denver has been a pioneer in this work and they have done amazing work with a lot of their school grounds, um, transforming them. We have a tour on the 11th um, and it's kind of like a pre-conference tour, yeah. but it it sold out very quickly. <laughs> we're, we're trying to figure out whether we open up a few more, but um, okay. yeah tuned.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. And um, I also, we, I think you do have some spots open for the indigenous youth. Yes. Um, yes. See. I
2: I know the, the link for the conference has been dropped uh, in the chat and I'm happy to follow up on, on slots that are still available. Yes. And here
1: is the link children slash inside dash out. Um, mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Well, I want to thank you both so much for joining me today and sharing all this important work with the Hermony Voices community. Is there any final words that you'd like to share?
2: No, thank you for for giving us the space to really lift up the not not our work, but the work that's happening all over the world, and and we're all a part of it. It's really a it's really a movement. So thank you and thank you, uh, Alicia. And Marina and Isila.
1: Thank you so much. Mariana, thank you as well. Thank, thank you, both. you
3: so much. Thanks a lot.
1: Yes, wonderful to have you here. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>